1: through literature, the arts, the skilled trades, and the humanities. We thank you for joining us tonight, and we'd love you to be a part of tonight's discussion by calling in with your comments or questions to 347-324-5552. Hello,
0: my name is Shelley Gaines, and I'm the host this uh, today for the Gist of Freedom. And today we are going to have a very special guest, Ms. A'Lelia Bundles, who happens to be an American journalist, news producer and author, and also the great-great-granddaughter of Madam J.C. Walker. And we're going to be discussing the Netflix series, uh, Self-Made, with uh, Ms. Bundles. So hello, Ms. Bundles.
2: Hi, always happy to talk about Madam C. J. Walker.
0: That is wonderful. So the Netflix series has been a big success. It debuted in March, and I wanted just to get your opinion of uh, the casting and and how you enjoyed the series, and um, you know, just talk a little bit about your um, your great great grandmother. Sure. Well those were those that were there were like three or four questions in there so. <laughs> Yes, are okay. There was. Well I know it was produced by LeBron James, so and it's based off your novel, um, on her own. So did they come to you and requ- and request um any, you know, guidance as far as the miniseries? You can start there. So just,
2: you know, just really to put things in perspective for people because Hollywood is is a little bit opaque. My book was called On Her Own Ground:
1: mm-hmm. The
2: Life and Times of Madam C.J. Walker. It was not a novel because a novel is fictional. So I think, you know, sometimes we forget those things we learned in sixth grade, but these terms just kind of get, you know, thrown out there. But it was not a novel. My book was a nonfiction biography based on 20 years of research, not a fictional work. Um, So that's really key, I think, for people to understand because a Hollywood production is a fictional work as a fictionalized version of this story Lebron James's name is on there as an executive producer because Spring Hill Entertainment, his production company, was loosely involved but lebron i have never talked to Lebron James, so he, <laughs> okay. I don't know what he knows about the details of this story but the okay. um, but the the story behind this is that. I have been doing research on the members of my family, the women in my family, since I, before I could read, before I even knew who they were. So when I was three years old, I first began to discover things that had belonged to Madam Walker, A'Lelia Walker, and my grandmother, May, things Mm -hmm. that were in my grandmother's apartment when I was three Mm. years old. My grandmother had died in 1945. And Mm -hmm. when my parents and I moved back to Indianapolis where they had both grown up in 1955, we stayed in what then was my grandfather's apartment, but had been my grandmother's apartment, and where she had moved all of the things from A'Lelia Walker's apartment in Harlem when A'Lelia Walker died in 1931. So I was discovering... The, you know, Madam Walker's Mother of Pearl opera glasses that were in the dresser drawer, Uh, Mm -hmm. the ostrich feather fans, A'Lelia Walker's miniature mummy charms that she had gotten on a trip to Egypt in 1922, the silverware that we used every day had Madam Walker's monogram CJW on it, and the china we used on special occasions had belonged to Madam Walker. My mother was vice president of the Madam C.J. Walker Manufacturing Company. So I grew up in a household where there were there were hints of the Walker women, but it was not an overwhelming part of my everyday existence. I wrote a paper when I was a senior in high school about A'Lelia Walker and the Harlem Renaissance. This was in 1970, mm-hmm. so 50 mm-hmm. years ago. And then when I was at Columbia University Graduate School of Journalism is when I really began to do serious research. So that 50 years' worth of my research and literally a lifetime of research, it, the Netflix series is one of many, many things that I have done in my lifetime. If, you exactly. want to, if people want to know
0: mm-hmm. how,
2: how involved I was in this process, my yes, book just was out of Curiosity.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, so your book was optioned for it, but like you said, um, they did take quite a few liberties with it. Right. Um, were you Were you satisfied with the the acting, the portrayal of your great great grandmother by Octavia Spencer?
2: I think Octavia Spencer did a fabulous job. I mean, I, I cannot okay. think of anybody who would have done a better job. And the, this, I have the book has been optioned. Really, with 1982 was the first conversation. That I had with somebody about bringing this story to the big screen or to television, mm-hmm. and that was with Alex Haley, who was interested in the pro- project, and we talked about it. I did research for him, and then it was optioned a couple more times through the years. And so, you think 20 years ago, 30 years ago, who would have, who were the hot actresses then? Um, there were other, there were many other people who 20 and 30 years ago. Might have played Madam Walker, but the universe made it, (laughs) so it took Mm -hmm. a, a really long time, and Octavia Spencer was great. But there are many things about the Netflix series that are not true to history.
0: Okay, well then that's why people have to read your book. And maybe this will this mini series will garner more interest in your book about the actual historical background of your grandmother so that's a mm-hmm. great thing. Have you noticed sales have been increasing on your on your particular book regarding your your grandmother yeah, yeah, yeah. Grandmother? Sales, are,
2: sales have sales have increased but it 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 really is an interesting process this um how a book gets turned into a film, And it has made me think deeply about what that means and how our history is told. And certainly I know um, The Gifts of Freedom is really about factual history and really trying mm-hmm. to make sure that our history is preserved. So what yeah. my experience has been with this process is that after my book was optioned, Mark Holder of a company called production company called Wonder Street optioned the book. Mark and I had great conversations. I really wanted, to, I had many people who were approaching me at that point. Um, and I went with Mark and his wife, Christine, because Mark really seemed to respect my research and respect the story. Once a writer was hired um, mm-hmm. to work on this, the writer had a really different vision than I had of what Madam Walker's story was. And you mm-hmm. see that writer's vision with mm-hmm. the uh, elevation of a conflict between Madam Walker and the Annie Monroe character, who many people immediately connect to, Annie Malone, though okay. not this is not the reality of Madam Walker's rivalry with Annie Malone, the mm-hmm. real-life character. There are made-up characters. There are storylines that the head writer, Nicole Jefferson Asher, wanted to emphasize that are very different from the things that I emphasize in my book.
0: Understandably. Well, I'll tell you something. What I have just come across um, looking at the um, miniseries and also just going through different interviews that you um, have given is the fact that, um, that she was just a marketing genius. It's, it's amazing what your great-great-grandmother was able to do as far as mobilizing women and empowering women. And Can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure, and
2: these are the things that I think are really important about her life. You know, we know this story. People know Madam Walker was born Sarah Breedlove on a plantation in Delta, Louisiana, two years after the end of the Civil War, the first child in her family born free, a poor washerwoman until she was 38, and then she transformed herself into a millionaire businesswoman Mm -hmm. who employed thousands Mm -hmm. of women. But Mm -hmm. the way that she got to that transformation was developing a hair care product, and she knew that her product was solving a problem that many black women had, that they were losing their hair because hygiene was very different and they were going bald because of really bad scalp infections. Most people didn't have indoor plumbing. So she mm-hmm. solved that problem, but she had to teach women about this. So she, her part of her marketing genius was putting herself in the place women, traveling all around the United States, holding lectures, recruiting agents, then um, doing a great deal of advertising in the black press and holding a national convention for her sales agents in 1917. So this had to have been one of the first conventions of women entrepreneurs. But her marketing Mm -hmm. went beyond just her products. She really branded her company as a representative of the Civil Rights and politics and economic
0: independence for African Americans, which was incredible. Now, is she was she, from my readings and just watching different videos, it wasn't that she got a formal education, correct? She, so, where did she acquire these skills to be able to, you know, mobilize and establish this company and run it so effectively?
2: Well, you know, at the time, a really small percentage of Americans, black, white, whatever, actually went to college. Most people didn't Mm -hmm. get beyond the eighth grade. That was just not the way people were educated. People had to go to work, and there weren't school systems to really support that. But she had gotten rudimentary education in Delta, Louisiana, in where she grew up in northern Louisiana. When she moved to St. Louis, She, her brothers were barbers, so she became part of their community, and their barbershop was very near St. Paul African Methodist Episcopal Church. And it really was the women of the church, the missionary society, the choir. She was in the choir.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Those women began to give her a vision of herself as something other than an illiterate washerwoman. And she was always striving to improve her life so that her daughter's life Would be improved. And she saw these women, these club women, these suffragists, these women who were organizing orphanages and retirement homes for formerly enslaved people, and she saw how they banded together into a national organization called the National Association of Colored Women. So she began to model herself after those women. She saw what they were doing. So when she had her national organization and first convention, she had seen Mm -hmm. that example. And then, as she began to become more successful, she surrounded herself with women who could mentor her. Uh, Jessie Batts mm-hmm. Robinson was a school teacher in St. Louis. That was her first mentor. Mm-hmm. Then she hired Alice Kelly, the former dean of girls at a black boarding school in Kentucky, who became the manager of her factory, and her traveling companion, who also tutored her, who helped her with her grammar, who helped her you know with her reading with her current events i i would just mention one thing somebody asked me a question um because there's that famous picture of madam walker in the model t she's driving her niece, yes and jetta is next to her behind her mm-hmm. is are two women and right mm-hmm. behind her is alice kelly the manager of her factory and then to alice kelly's right is Lucy Flint, who was Madam Walker's bookkeeper, who would have been a CPA in these days and times. But someone mm-hmm. asked me, he said, Who is that white woman in the back seat? And that is not a white woman. That is Alice Kelly, who is a black woman, who is a very light skinned black woman. And that mm-hmm. made me think about this um, emphasis on colorism in the series.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and that was not reality the character Addie Monroe the writers and the showrunners have said in many interviews that they were creating a composite character who represented many obstacles that Madam Walker faced and that is certainly very common in hollywood treatments there's nothing you know unusual about creating a cos- composite character but in this instance i think many people draw the conclusion that that character is a stand-in for Annie Malone, the real-life character. And in mm-hmm. real life, Madam Walker's real-life rival was Annie Malone, but Annie Malone was not a light-skinned woman. So the conflict that is manufactured in the series it did not happen in real life. And you can see from okay. Madam Walker's ally with Alice right. Kelly that she mm-hmm. had good friends who were light-skinned black women.
0: Well, you know, in reality, you know, that was a lot of the educated women back in that society. So, you know, if they embraced her, then it's, you know, naturally she would associate herself with, you know lighter skin women. Is that the correct? assessment? Yeah, I mean, I think her? it was, but yeah. you can
2: also see that the, the sort of reality is that the two women in the back seat who she
0: mm-hmm.
2: relied on, one was very light and one was, was, mm-hmm. was dark. So right. she was, she was allying herself with women who were, who had skills, who were educated, who mm-hmm. could, had, who could help advance her company. She mm-hmm. was not to my mind, focused on the color of somebody's skin or reacting to that, which is not to say that she didn't experience uh, colorism. I I think, you know, Mm -hmm. all black women experience it in one way or another, and obviously Mm -hmm. darker-skinned women feel the pain more deeply than lighter-skinned women. That is, that's Mm -hmm. still a reality, but it Mm -hmm. wasn't the reality of the relationship in in real life that Madam Walker had.
0: And see, I just... I kind of take exception to Hollywood's always trying to perpetuate those kind of divisions, you know, when a life of hers is so rich that they really didn't even have to go there in my opinion, but that's just my opinion. (laughs) Well, you know, I would love to hear what you thought
2: about it because I, I intentionally did not say very much before the series came out because I knew the thoughts that I had, but it was, very interesting to me as I watch the social media comments and people's, you know, views of it, and so. And I think many people were not sure what they could say to me because they weren't sure, you know, how much of this I had uh, endorsed. But I'm just
0: curious mm-hmm. to know what you think. Well, I I take kind of exception to that spin that they put um, on the miniseries regarding. Um, the complexion, you know, the the, compl- the the conflict with her and the Annie Malone and the whole complexion uh, concept that they constantly like to um, reiterate amongst black women. I just, that, that kind of annoyed me, especially after looking at all your uh, videos and your interviews and uh, and, and talked about how rich her life was, and like you said, how progressive it was, how inclusive it was of all Black people. So I just think it could have went another direction. I, I, I that's just my personal opinion. <laughs> yeah, but, well, um... I, I,
2: I agree with you. I don't have, I don't disagree with you. I think there were many other things. I think there's so much real life drama
0: right, in exactly. Madam Walker's
2: story, and I think that exactly. we have, it, we are so desperate for stories about ourselves, that Hollywood is just really getting up to speed on portraying our stories. So I am really hoping that this will not be the last time we get to see Madam Walker's story on a television screen or on a big screen because there is a lot to tell that really did happen to her.
0: Well, not only that, her daughter, your namesake, (laughs) is fascinating. I mean, she was the queen of Harlem. I it was it's her story. I think she has a a storyline there too that uh we could possibly discuss. Um how did when did Madam um Madam C Walker uh CJ Walker decide to go to Harlem? Was it based on her daughter's recommendation? That that's it the really place was she now, to be?
2: She, I mean, I'm so glad you bring this up because you know as you know I am in the throes of trying to finish a manuscript on A'Lelia Walker, the first real major biography of her. And I'm mm-hmm. feeling like I felt 20 years ago, right before the Madam Walker book came out, when On Her Own Ground came out, because people had, you know, kind of a paragraph of a cliche that was often inaccurate was all they knew about Madam Walker. And I feel like I'm kind of in the same position with A'Lelia Walker, where she's kind of been become a caricature.
0: Mm-hmm. So, And
2: for the last decade, I've been doing this research on on her and when I am telling the story about A'Lelia Walker I'm trying to give her her due now it is absolutely true that it is very difficult to be the child of a larger than life figure like Madam Walker and Mm -hmm. so that's a dramatic tension that already exists in the narrative but I'm really fortunate that I have literally hundreds of their letters that I use for the details in On Her Own Ground, which is why I'm Mm -hmm. able to write such a rich and detailed depiction of their lives. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have more than 40,000 documents of Madam Walker and Aelia Walker that we gave to the Indiana Historical Society in the early 1980s. They have been digitized. This, Mm -hmm. This is why we're able to make some of the assertions that we make about Mm -hmm. Madam Walker, about her wealth, because we have, as they Mm -hmm. say, the receipts. And that's because Madam Walker very smartly surrounded herself with really talented people who understood the importance of keeping good records. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: But in
2: terms of A'Lelia Walker and the Harlem story, the move to Harlem, Madam Walker had started her company in Denver in 1906. She married Charles Joseph Walker in January Mm of 1906, and started calling herself madam walker they lived in denver they traveled throughout the south and the southwest they settled briefly in pittsburgh then they moved to indianapolis in 1910 that's where she built her factory at that point her daughter a'lelia lelia originally but she added the a apostrophe
0: okay. was running
2: the <laughs> pittsburgh office and harlem was part of her territory both of them had visited harlem Mm -hmm. You know, between 1909 and 1912 or so, so they they knew that it was a rich market. But Lelia was there regularly as part of her marketing territory. And she persuaded her mother that they needed to have a presence in Harlem as it was becoming the mecca of black culture and politics. Mm -hmm. So she, she had persuaded her mother that they needed to buy a building. They bought a building on 136th Street near Lenox Avenue, now Mal- Malcolm X, hired mm-hmm. Bertner Tandy, at the the first licensed black architect in New York, to design a house. And that, I think, is one of the reasons that Madam Walker is more remembered than some of her competitors.
1: Because mm-hmm.
2: being there, having that Harlem platform, meant that they were being written about because everybody was fascinated with Harlem.
0: Yes. Yes, that was the Renaissance.
2: So that's right.
0: That was the time when what Langston Hughes was there and Joe Lewis and everybody. Correct.
2: Right. Well, so, and so it's you know it's interesting. There's a sort of a historical arc about Harlem. 1913 is when black. I mean, there were head there had been black folks in Harlem for a long time, but 1913 mm-hmm. when there were people whose names many people no longer remember Burt Williams, James Reese Europe, Philip Payton, James Weldon Johnson, James Rosamond Johnson. Those were the big names before 1920,
0: okay. and people
2: can Google those names.
0: Mm-hmm. But
2: then Madam Walker dies in 1919, and there are people who who say, when did the Harlem Renaissance itself begin, even though there were seeds of the Harlem Renaissance before 1919? Mm-hmm. But when the black soldiers came back from Paris in early 1919. And then one of the other markers is when Shuffle Along, a a Broadway musical with black characters in 1921. So Mm -hmm. people kind of look at those two things. So then the big boom of the Harlem Renaissance... Was during the 1920s, even though the seeds had been planted before that. But Alelia Walker was very much a part of the 1920s iteration of the Harlem Renaissance, and she knew all the writers and musicians and actors um, who were part of the Harlem Renaissance, as we think of it, with people like Langston Hughes, Countee Cullen, mm-hmm. Jean Toomer. Joe mm-hmm. Lewis comes a little bit later, but okay. and she, she didn't really know him. But you kind of mm-hmm. have to, when you get into the details of, the, of Harlem, you can see black folks started moving there and during the point. Then it grew, and then there was a whole another set of people. So it was a couple of generations of people who created that sort of mystique of Harlem.
0: And she was a part of it. Lilia mm-hmm. was the center of it all. That's wonderful, because I saw pictures of the building um, and the salon. It was a salon also and a residence. Right, right. And uh, it, it was beautiful. It, it was it was it was incredible as far as the exterior and the interior.
2: Well, this is one of the okay, things that we? I'm I'm right You know, I'm trying to write about in this new book because. If you, you know, for people who've seen the series and you get the impression that uh, Lelia Walker was just kind of flighty and not really that involved in the business, but she really was you know, she was not her mother. there is no way that mm-hmm. she was going to be her mother. But mm-hmm. she really was quite serious about promoting the business and developing the, a base in New York, and that made a huge difference. But it's also, you know, just to be able to show her, trying to carve out her own niche and to be, not her mother, but to be serious about the business, and and I just think that yeah. you know it does a disservice to her to not give her her due. hmm We well, have a call. online. You know, oh,
1: mine. okay. Sorry. Great. Mm-hmm. I don't,
0: okay. I don't know if he's still here.
1: Harry. Hello, and- caller. Yes. Hello. Hello there. Do
0: you have a question? Uh, Can you hear me? Yes.
1: Okay. Um, first off, I want to say that, um, I kind of wasn't that interested in seeing the series at first. And sort of I mean, the first five minutes of watching it, it really got exciting and sparked my interest. um, I, I am a hairstylist thirty seven years, so it was really remarkable how like I, I understand how you say that Hollywood portrays things a little differently, but um and I you know, I do know they have to do that for you know, for T V or whatever. But it was really interesting how they put it together, how she how she created her legacy and like you said, even with her daughter being a queen of Harlem and everything. It was very. It was a very good show, um, very good history. Um, she definitely paved the way for, you know, even me being a male hairstylist, um, you know, Afro-American hairstylist. Um, it brought things to totally different levels. And I respect how, you know, her drive that she had um, for business and the things that she had. Because even the way that they portrayed it on the series, I know in real life that the challenges, the challenges that she had, was just, uh, just such a big hurdle, uh, hurdles to jump over to accomplish and to, um, to you know, get her place in history the way she has. So I really, I really respect that.
2: Thank you. I, I'm just really glad that you were inspired by the series, and that is one of the things, one of the silver linings for me that right. um, that people are, are inspired by it. And I think, Matt, you know, Madam Walker has been a patron saint for many people who are in in the hair care industry. So I am I'm yes. I've just really am grateful to all of the support that I've received through the years when we were trying to get a Madam Walker stamp. The National Beauty Cultures League was very helpful, and the folks at Bronner Brothers were very helpful. So we've, you know, really benefited from
1: that support. Now um, the way I was kind of, and I'm glad to, what you explained as far as, um, as far as how they kind of twist the story a little bit because I was really concerned. I'm, I'm definitely going to get your book, and I I definitely want to read that. It um, was the way that they kind of portrayed certain things that I was questionable about, like with the relationship that she had with the lady that she had her rivalry with, um, with how things were with her husband, uh, her business partner, the guy, I guess the one that um, kept all the, you know, all her business in order. Um, You know, just a a lot, the whole thing just was, you know, to me it was like, okay, which, which parts really were, you know, added in for, you know, the theatric of of good TV.
2: You know, I'm so glad you asked me that because on, on my uh, Instagram account, at A'Lelia Bundles and Twitter, at A'Lelia Bundles, and on my Facebook, A'Lelia Bundles page, I have posted a lot of articles where I have, Act, you know, I've done a lot of interviews where I have tried to address the fact versus fiction. So I'll start with uh, with Mr. Ransom, F.B. Ransom. Mr. Ransom was key to um, helping the success of her business. He was a straight arrow who made sure that the factory ran well. He protected her from any legal threats. And he had taken a pledge as a teenager to never drink, smoke, or gamble. And so the script writers, the Hollywood script writers, made a decision to create a character called Sweetness, the Bill Bellamy character, which I think many people enjoyed, but he is not a real-life character. And I know in real life, Mr. Ransom would not have bet on the numbers. So... For me, people can walk away from this and think, well, Madam Walker's company was really reliant upon um, an illegal investment, and that did not happen. And I think that there there is a certain stereotype that, oh, a black business must have something illegal, and that was not the reality. She She grew her business because mostly black women were buying her products. So that's that part of it um the annie malone addie monroe character annie malone was madame walker's real life rival when i did the research for on her own ground i did a lot of research on annie malone and i discovered annie malone was a very successful entrepreneur a very uh, important philanthropist these women were rivals but they were equals and in my portrayal in the book there is nothing that suggests to me that Annie Malone was a light-skinned woman who put Madam Walker down they had a real business disagreement and that was the basis of it Annie Malone certainly did not follow her to Indianapolis but the scriptwriters and the showrunners made a decision that they wanted to create this composite character that they named Addie Monroe so you know you I really really hope you will Read the book and come to my websites, A'LeliaBundles.com dot com and MadamCJWalker.com, dot com. Check out the blogs and get you know some of the some of the real details about their lives. Yes,
1: yes definitely. Thank you. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. Cleaning that up for me. You're welcome.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much. Those are great, uh, great questions. Um, but I wanted to just touch upon before you know we we end is her philanthropy because. I mean, just the fact that she was so concerned about the progress of, you know, African Americans at that time. Can we talk a little bit more about her philanthropy and the fact that she was a a patron of the arts?
2: I'm so glad you asked about that because I think what you get, you know, what we get from the series is Octavia Spencer is so strong in that role showing the courage and the tenacity of Madam Walker the struggles, the sacrifices, the triumphs of building a business. But it they originally were it was originally supposed to be eight to ten episodes. It got cut down mm-hmm. to four. So they, the script writers and showrunners had to leave a lot out. One mm-hmm. of the many things that got left out was her philanthropy. My good friend um, Tyrone McKinley Freeman, who's a professor of philanthropy at Indiana University's School of Philanthropy, really noted the absence of Madam Walker's philanthropy. He points out that Madam Walker wanted to make money, but it was not because she wanted to be Ford or Carnegie or Rockefeller.
0: Mm-hmm. That was
2: becoming a millionaire just on its own was not her goal. It was her desire to do something to help her community because she knew how much she had been helped, when she was a poor woman, she wanted to turn around and give back. And so she gave thousands of dollars. When she died her in her will, $100,000 was designated for black schools and organizations and political causes. $5,000 to the NAACP's Anti-Lynching Fund.
0: Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. Now, I had noted somewhere that, she willed the mansion to the NAACP. Was, is that correct? Or so initially, what,
2: she, what her will said was mm-hmm. the will the the house that that is Bill of the World that is now a national historic landmark owned by mm-hmm. a foundation, a black foundation um, that cr- was created by Richelieu Dennis, the founding CEO of Sundial Brands, who now owns Essence. and and runs New Voices Fund, the Venture Capital Fund for Black Women Entrepreneurs. That Mm -hmm. house was willed to her daughter through her daughter's lifetime. And then Mm -hmm. after A'Lelia Walker's death, which happened in 1931, Madam Walker said it should then go to the NAACP or whatever race organization was doing the most for black people. And when A'Lelia Walker died in 1931 Mm – Mm -hmm. The taxes and upkeep were so high that the NAACP agreed to allow the estate to sell the house. They sold it to the Companions of the Forest, a white women's organization who owned it through until the 1980s. Then it was bought by a man named Ingo Appel. Then it was bought in 1993 by an African-American couple, Harold and Helena Doley, who owned it until just a few years ago when a foundation created by Richelieu Dennis purchased the house.
0: Okay. And from the pictures I saw, it looked it looked like it was in, in pretty good shape. It was, it's
2: it's actually in excellent shape. I, the mm-hmm. Doley's did a good job of keeping it doing some major renovation. It was a UNCF uh designer show house in 1998 so they did a really good job for a hundred year old house it's in great shape but it's now it now needs some more repairs which it is undergoing at the moment
0: okay and you don't think they would ever um, make it available to the public for viewing kind of like you know the, the
2: the village of Irvington is not mm-hmm. really willing to zone it to make it into a house museum. There's not okay. parking. It's not really accessible for parking. That is not to say that there won't occasionally be a tour uh, or some kind of public event, but it is not going to be a house museum that people can just you know go to on a daily basis. But there. But I think that just knowing the kind of person that um, that Mr. Dennis is and the kinds of things that he cares about as exhibited with community commerce through Sundial Brands and through Essence, that there wouldn't be some opportunity on occasion to mm-hmm. have it open to the public. But it, can't, it, okay. it is not zoned to be that.
0: Okay. And when did Sundial acquire uh, Madam Walker's company?
2: About six years ago. So the trademark was acquired about six Mm -hmm. years ago
0: six years ago okay and so up until that time it was it was run by the family or
2: no so the so my family and the mm-hmm. uh, family of uh, fb ransom madam walker's attorney had mm-hmm. the the next generation had an interest in the company and were trustees of the company the trademark was sold to another entity which owned it for about 30 years but never really developed it into a major player and then um, sundial brands acquired the trademark
0: okay so they just had the trademark but as of now i don't i don't know are there products available oh, absolutely or just, absolutely yeah? the, oh, okay. the products
2: oh yes the products were relaunched and i'm a i'm the historic historical consultant the products were okay. relaunched in 2016 they are available mm-hmm. on sephora.com uh, mcjw okay. is the name of the brand and people okay. can go to mcjwbeautyculture.com. dot com. You can mm-hmm. uh, that's the website. You can find it on Instagram, mcjwbeauty on mm-hmm. Twitter and on Facebook. And you, they're fabulous products, which I use on my hair. And okay. they really are. They're not the original formula because you know a hundred mm-hmm. years ago, what was revolutionary, which was a a shampoo and a an ointment, kind of like Vaseline with. Sulfur in it was a revolutionary solution for scalp infections a hundred years ago, or mm-hmm. a little over a hundred years ago, 1906 when Madam Walker founded her company. But with a hundred years of research and development and science,
0: mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. know
2: that people we need moisture more than we need the heavy oils and heavy ointments. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so now these 20 different SKUs are focused on scalp exfoliation and conditioning and Moisturizing, so I'm. They're they're great products.
0: Okay, that's wonderful. I'm going to look into that. Definitely. And um, what about the Madam Walker Legacy Center that's on the um, campus of Indiana University? Can you so talk it's a not. You no, know, it's
2: not on Indiana. It's it's across the street nope. from my UPUI's campus. <laughs> <laughs> so the the bla- there was a black neighborhood um, in downtown Indianapolis. And uh, as happened in many cities, black neighborhoods were bulldozed to build highways. Mm -hmm. But the Madam Walker building, the the headquarters of the Madam Walker Company that was built in 1927, is now the Madam Walker Legacy Center. It happens to stand across the street from IUPUI's campus. But that IUPUI's campus is stands on the former neighborhood, uh, a former black neighborhood. But the uh, Madam Walker Legacy Center is one of the last tangible, physical examples mm-hmm. of what the black business district looked like.
0: Well, I read, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, that they're doing a multimillion-dollar renovation.
2: Absolutely, and, and they we're really excited. The Lilly Endowment, mm-hmm. which is um, – you know, one of the wonderful things about Indianapolis, the Lily Endowment from the Eli Lilly Company really mm-hmm. supports the community and has spent literally millions of dollars over the last 30 years in supporting and preserving that building.
0: That's wonderful. That's wonderful. So we are looking forward to your next project, which is, which is about your great-grandmother, A'Lelia Walker. Uh, when can we expect the book?
2: So I am trying to finish that. I am doing the, you know, all of the wonderful um, interest that people have right now about the Netflix mm-hmm. series and about the new mm-hmm. edition of my book, On Her Own Ground. And mm-hmm. in about two weeks, I am shutting down everything and focusing on finishing the manuscript. I have about five more chapters to write, and mm-hmm. uh, by the end of the summer, I should be finished writing that, and it should be out next year
0: that is wonderful because now that we're quarantined <laughs> <laughs> yeah how is your that quarantine is going thing. how is your quarantine going are you are you okay yeah, it,
2: a... it, well you know what i'm fine and of course i'm really concerned about all of the people that i don't even know who are struggling through this and then the people i do know at my local grocery store and at my gym and in my community, who I, you know, I know we're wondering whether these folks are going to have jobs afterwards, and then the, of course, friends who have lost loved ones uh, throughout yeah. this. So, you know, that's really tough. I mean, I, I'm used to working at home, and so this is just one more iteration. It's strange for me not to be traveling right now, mm-hmm. but I'm just trying to find the silver lining.
0: That's wonderful. That's wonderful. So you, you have concern. You're and in the process, you're being productive. And um, you know, I, you know, I think that's what we have to do. We just have to, like you said, look for the silver lining in this. And you know, everyone take care of themselves and try to be as healthy as possible. Right. That's
2: that's that's what you yeah. have to do. And you know, yeah. and there will be some. Um, some good entrepreneurial solutions that will come out of this, but it's also it also is showing the disparities between what happens with people of color in America that are sort of baked in and we're I will say that my as a former you know network television news producer and executive, mm-hmm. I am glad mm-hmm. to see that this conversation about the disparities is going on, but I just don't have a lot of faith or I have no faith in this current administration to really address these concerns. Excuse me,
1: ladies. May I interject? Yes. Go right ahead. Okay. So I currently live in Arizona, and I'm originally from New Jersey, Hackensack, New Jersey, but I've spent my last 25 years in Harlem. And like I said, I've been a hairstylist for 37 years. So here we just got banned from doing hair and like last week Saturday and it was kind of you know, I had to think up I had to really think it through and I have done this past week a few people's care privately and I just decided that um, for one thing God doesn't want you know he doesn't want us living in fear and that's exactly what the devil wants. So through looking at um, a, a visual church service today, um, the pastor was saying that, you know, to be protected, you know, we stay in and the law will protect us, and that's one of the things that we have to go through now until they transition into finding a cure. So as a hairdresser, you know, thank God my, um, my girlfriend, we just bought a house, and she... Um, work from home. So that's, you know, that's very good as far as that, but it's just a matter of we have to, I would rather shut things down, stay home for, you know, whether it be a month, even two, to solve everything, get everything um, back to normal, and then, you know, just reset, and just like you were saying, there's going to be a lot of entrepreneurial um, opportunities to come from this, and Sometimes we have to take a couple steps back, you know, to go, you know, 10 steps forward. And this is just one of the things.
2: You know, I'm so glad that you are saying this because I was having a conversation with some friends who who have a hair care products company business yesterday. And we talked mm-hmm. about this because there are a lot of people who are really struggling to do their own hair, who are not accustomed to doing it, who oh. feed you. Oh, and, please. But uh, but how do we do this? Because we really do have to keep ourselves safe. There is, I, there is something to say for the Lord will protect us and, you know, we'll have a shield against this virus. But the virus will come at you regardless of your faith. And mm-hmm. how is it that we can whether it's through Zoom or whether it's through Score, whatever the various platforms are, how can we, you know, advise people on how to do some protective hairstyles, things that they need to do. Now, the point is no one can replace those of you who truly we rely on to do our hair. We we, we can never measure up to that. But what what is it you might have to say, you know, I'll do a – a 20 minute or a 30 minute tutorial with you for $50 or something like that. And just kind of put that shingle out there because I think people would appreciate it and they will, well, they are used to paying you. And so maybe this is an entrepreneurial opportunity.
0: Well, he has left the um, the program, mm-hmm. but I can't say that um, that's an excellent idea. What you mentioned, and also on YouTube, there's tons of tutorials now on just about how to do anything.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: so. Um, but I, and that, I think
2: people have a relationship with their personal stylist,
0: mm-hmm. and
2: uh, you know, I've noticed, you know, as you have, I'm sure we've all gotten these emails from companies that we really haven't done any business with in years, but who are telling us they are going to be there for us. That person, their hairstylist, is one of the most personal relationships anybody has.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, and um you know, I just—it's just a—it's just, ma- just a matter of time before you know we—you know—we'll get back to them, hopefully. You know, and hopefully, you right. know, our, our hair will—it won't be a disaster and totally broken off, <laughs> and we'll be able, be able to and they'll be able but to. You know, it shows you
2: how important that is. I mean, I—I'm a—I'm a real kind of do-it-yourself person because I need to wash and go but we all need Mm -hmm. a great somebody to cut our hair and trim our hair from time to time at at, Mm -hmm. at the very least
0: absolutely absolutely now I I just want to change the subject just a little because I want to ask you this because I don't recall seeing this but um when I went to the National African American Museum is there an exhibit for Madam uh Madam Walker there because yeah absolutely I I, I donated
2: Yeah, I donated about 20 items to the National Mm -hmm. Museum of African American History and Culture. But it is, Mm -hmm. um, there's so much in the museum you really need a week (laughs) to go through it. You really do. (laughs) But she is in a couple of different places. There is an exhibit in the um, sort of early, sort of the Jim Crow era post-Reconstruction before World War I. And then there's another section on black business. That includes a big sign from the Madam Walker agents. And um, so, yes, she's in a couple of different places in the museum.
0: Wonderful. Wonderful. So when I go back again, I'm going to specifically look for it because you're right, you need about a week. And I did it in two days, so Mm -hmm. I was running (laughs) <laughs> but uh, but anyways, but I would just like to thank you for your time, Ms. Bumbles. It's been an excellent um, opportunity to talk to you and learn a bit a little more about uh, your great-great-grandmother, her legacy, her philanthropy, and the fact that, you know, it's still a bit, those products are still, well, not those products, but you have products still available now that we can get through on Sephora. And we definitely look forward to your next project. About your well, I'm, I'm
2: always happy to – I'm delighted to meet you. I'm happy to talk with you. I'm always happy to support what Leslie is doing. She's really developed quite an institution and quite a body of work. So it's my pleasure and honor to be a part of it.
0: Thank you. And before we go, can you repeat all your, the platforms that you're on? I know you gave it briefly to one of our callers, but if you could just repeat that for sure. people listening. Sure. Mm-hmm.
2: my website is A'LeliaBundles.com, bundles dot com a l e l i a bundles dot com and then MadamCJWalker.com, c j walker dot com madam mm-hmm. with no e m a d a m c j walker dot com my book uh on her own ground has been renamed self made with a new edition uh and that is the nonfiction 250 page book of facts <laughs> that, yes. be, that inspired the self-made series you can find information about that on my website as well as photographs and blogs and urls and okay. videos and and articles so i hope people will check those things That's
0: out wonderful and they can get the uh latest edition on amazon of they can book? get
2: it on amazon,
0: amazon. Okay. on barnes
2: and noble on IndieBound, okay. and on my website
0: Okay, and I also
2: recorded an audio book a few months okay, ago, so okay, they, it's okay, it's available now. Paperback, ebook, audiobook, and even CD.
0: <laughs> wonderful. Wonderful. That's fantastic. I just want to wish you a happy Easter or Resurrection Sunday, whichever you prefer. And thank you again for your time. Much appreciated. Thank you. Pleasure. Okay. Take care. Bye. That concludes this edition of the Gist of Freedom. Have a great day.